Worldwide Podcast. My name is Christina Ballas, the National Director of Strategic Implementation for CBC, and I'll be your host. Returning to us today is Dan Spiegel, the Managing Director of Cobalt Banker Commercial. Dan's commercial real estate credentials spanning over 30 years are both impressive and well-rounded. Upon completion of his master's in urban planning, Dan jumped into the CRE space and has propelled ever since. Dan lives commercial real estate. He not only runs an iconic brand in his spare time, he's a docent for the prestigious Chicago Architecture Center. Today, we're going to dig into the recently published 2021 Mid-Year Update to see where the industry stands today and what the second half of the year could have in store. Welcome back, Dan, and thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Christina. It's great to be here again. Thank you. I would love to kick off with a quote from the 2021 Outlook that you produced in January. You wrote, while we wait for a widely available vaccine, we expect the recovery in 2021 to be led by industrial, grocery retail, multifamily, land, single tenant net leased, and drive-through retail properties. While it's amazing to think how much has happened over the past six to seven months, remind us what led your team to penning that. Well, I think, uh, you know, just reading the comment you just shared, first of all, it's hard to believe that back then we were contemplating a vaccine and now it's reached uh, the majority, at least of the population in the United States. So that's that's great news for the economy and obviously for the economy. A good economy in turn means uh, good news for real estate. Uh, But even that said, I think a lot of the trends that we anticipated, which were just sort of shifts in economic activity, which may result in shifts in commercial real estate demand, uh, have come to be true. So I don't, I'm pleased that we're more accurate than the weather forecast in, the, in this context, but industrial, grocery, retail, multifamily, uh, land, net lease properties are all performing quite strongly. And you know we'll, and we'll talk about it, but we'll, we, we anticipate they'll continue to perform strongly at least uh, from now to the end of the year. That's great. You know, I think it would be great for our listeners if you gave us a little context leading into the writing of the 2021 outlook and, you know, what kind of place were we at? Where were we? Not that long ago. Right. It was only, what is it, only seven months ago, so no, not that long. And since you mentioned my uh, my volunteer activity as a docent at the Architecture Center, what we like to say when I give tours is, you know, whatever period you're looking at today doesn't have a name until you look back at it. So we don't really, you know, it's hard to say today where we're at, right? But we just know from measures of activity in the most recent period, it's kind of the trends. And then from talking to clients and brokerage professionals, what they anticipate in the future, barring, you know, any significant change. Um, so right now, what we're seeing is uh, activity. You know, we, I think we've got past the pent up demand that was sort of suppressed during the pandemic uh, in the second to third quarter of last year. You know, things started to recover in commercial real estate by and large in the fourth quarter. And I think now what we're looking at is, are we at not just above last year, because obviously there was a, a lull last year, but are we ahead of where we were you know, two years ago or three years ago? Have we really recovered in the economy? So we pulled together statistics from um, you know, economic statistics. We talked to our brokerage professionals uh, who are obviously uh, frequently in contact with clients, investors, and users of commercial real estate. And then we look at numbers and we kind of put together our thoughts on, on, the, on the upcoming period. I think in commercial real estate, again, uh, uh, hopefully a little bit better than the weather. You know, well, the weather only looking a week out, right? We're looking about six months. And I think that's about as far as we can look with any sense of confidence uh, because all kinds of uh, external factors change. 
That makes sense. You had like a really strong opening mark in your mid-year update and you wrote, uh, despite the spike in construction costs, CRE is recovering better than expected. And that sounds amazing. And I want to know kind of a little bit more about that. I want to dig into that. Across the economy, the cost of products, goods and services across the board have gone up uh, probably sharper than might have been anticipated, right? There are some concerns certainly about inflation and there no, there's all kinds of um, supply chain issues that are, that are wreaking havoc on all kinds of products, right? Not just things that are related to commercial real estate. So, you know, a couple of things coming out of the pandemic uh, that have driven the construction costs. First of all, demand for housing has been, has been, uh, was well uh, exceeded expectations, I guess, as we went into the p- pandemic. The pandemic caused a lot of people to reevaluate their housing situation. Um, it may have, pre- you know, helped the millennial generation decide to stop renting and buy. Uh, it was the time to relocate since maybe they were in the city and the suburban life was more than uh, what they were seeking. And all those shifts have an impact for commercial real estate. Um, it might mean, you know, demand for housing leads to sales of land, which leads to construction of new housing developments, which leads to retail centers and employment centers moving and all those sorts of things. And with the um, supply chain shocks, um, the construction costs were up, right? Lumber in particular was up sharply. It has uh, moderated since then. Um, there has been a, a dearth of uh, workers in a lot of different areas in the economy. That's obviously driven up costs. Um, so costs are definitely a concern. Yet at the same time, you know, construction and new construction decisions are kind of long-term decisions. Like if you buy a piece of land to build on, um, you know, you have a holding cost for that land, even if costs go up. So the question is, you know, how quickly can you get, can you order things and maybe put them in warehouse uh, at, a, at a particular cost if it's lower than what you anticipate in the future? Or um, how quickly can you get going? Or if you defer, What's the cost of holding a property? So costs have gone up. Um, it's a challenge, obviously, for builders and owners uh, because the you know the rental rates that they have contracted to won't have shifted, uh, at least in the near term. Um, but the market will adjust. I guess that's the good news. It you know may not be immediate, but the, the adjustment to construction costs um, in the marketplace will take place at some point in the near future. So interesting. Um, gosh, there was so much there. I'm trying to think of what, what, which one of my questions I want to ask you. Um, I think you hit a lot on um, the fear of, in, well, you touched on the fear of inflation and kind of how that's, um, how that's addressing, you know, how that's impacting um, the industry. Can you dig into that a little bit more? Sure. In, inflation has, and fear of inflation, right? Because you know we have mm-hmm. experienced significant inflation, but the question really now is: is it long-term inflation or is it short-term inflation? We don't know yet. Economists have differing opinions. Obviously, politicians have an opinion as well. Um, but it comes into play in a couple areas of commercial real estate. So first of all um, is certainly supplies. We just talked about construction materials, labor, those sorts of things. Okay, so inflation you know, can change how much someone's willing to build or how quickly based on those costs. Um, second is the rental rates. You know, If you're building a property for lease um, and you anticipate by the time I start construction on this property to the time I finish it, you know, it'll be more expensive than I anticipated or there will be inflation in the future then uh, the landlord will need to decide what is that uh, annual jump in in uh, lease rate that they might put into their lease. So some leases might have been, you know, it's, it wasn't uncommon in recent years to have two or three percent a year bumps, as they're called. Uh, and now they may be tied to CPI or a percentage of CPI. 
or uh, oftentimes renewals. It'll say like you can renew at you know rate X, you know, with this adjustment for CPI. So that'll come into play. It's an issue kind of as a hedge for the owner, right? Because they will be somewhat protected against inflation if they bake it into their lease. But a tenant's really got to think about and work with a brokerage professional to negotiate those terms appropriately for their business because their business income may or may not increase with the rate of inflation. So that's a secondary inflation comes into play. Uh, the third, of course, is interest rates. And for people that are borrowing to buy real estate, uh, not necessarily institutions, but uh, maybe private investors or new investors, you know, interest rates could spike uh, as a result of inflation over the long haul. So that's that's another area uh, where inflation comes into play with commercial real estate. Um, I love the thoughts about, you know, leasing and making sure that you have uh, the proper representation to make sure that you're protected. And that's so important. Um, you know, that that has me thinking also then about some of the parts you wrote about office space and leasing and it being a tenant market. Um, I think those are all obviously in a different different realm there, but just wanted to, to get your thoughts on that part. Yeah, so I, it prob this whole topic of inflation probably comes more into play with office than any any other product type. Although certainly important to apartments, um, you know, multifamily apartments, retail, industrial as well. But the cost of operating an office building, particularly a large office building, you know, are significant, right? You have you know what are typically called taxes and operating expenses that are passed through to the tenant. Um, and within, with with inflation, those could be significant. So that's just one trend, you know. To follow up on our prior discussion. But office space in general, I think our comments in this year's mid-year outlook is really, it's it's an industry or it's a segment in flux. I think that's the best way to say. Uh, one has to keep in mind that office leasing, office leases are long-term, right? They're typically five, seven, 10 years, you know, maybe some 15-year leases if there's a lot of build-out in a space, uh, but let's just say five to seven years. And uh, so for the, the short-term, you know, until the lease comes to expiration and people are forced with the decision to renew, to move, downsize, grow, whatever, um, you know, the landlords are kind of protected, right? Because the tenants have to continue to pay on the space unless, you know, for some reason the business has gone belly up. Um, so the, the the shift in office space on the on that side is still, you know, still fairly stable until those leases come up for renewal. At the same time, the tenants or the occupiers of office space are in flux, right? You hear some companies, you know, the financial services industry are saying, hey, everybody should go back to the office. Other companies are saying, hey, everyone will go back to the office three days a week. And some companies are saying, hey, we don't need office space anymore. We're all gonna work from home. Now, which answer is right? I don't think any answer is right. The answer is gonna be right for the industry and the company and their culture and their way of operating the type of work that they do. So all those things really have to play out. Right. They have to play out. Are people really coming back permanently? Are they coming back three days a week? Are they coming back? Not at all. Right. And if they are coming back, are, will the company embrace a model with more space so people have more space to, to roam around and feel more secure from you know, any issues that they may perceive? Will they decide to downsize a central space and have multiple scattered sites, right? Because uh, maybe people are now used to not commuting and they don't want to go into the central business district or city and they want to work close to home. They relocated for to be in good schools or whatever it may be. 
Um, so there's a lot of things still in play. And I think, you know, now that the Delta variant is sort of the theme of the day, we just don't know yet. Even the companies that said go back to work may pause on that. Um, so it's really going to take another, you know, let's say six to 12 months before that shakes out. And then that'll come together with lease renewal that eventually will st- will start coming up. Obviously, some come up every year, but, you know, it takes time before you really see what the effect is. So interesting. So part of, I think, what you're saying, too, is that there's the shift in some of the the market, but also in the almost the power of who has more power, right? Is it the tenants? Is it the landlords? Is it the labor, you know, force demanding certain things? Is it where where work is and the companies demanding people to come back? So that'll be really interesting to see how things shake out and um, kind of who who wins out there um, will be interesting to watch for sure. Uh, the market, the real estate marketplace is sort of the intersection of exactly those three areas, right? In the last, you know, both 10 years and probably now with kind of a scarcity of labor in many sectors, um, uh, you know, the, the worker sort of is in charge, right? So if you want the best talent, companies are going to have to either say, fine, work from wherever you are or forego that talent because they only want to pull on a pool that can commute to a central location, right? That has in turn implications for how much office space you need or where that office space is or whether you're putting the burden of office space on the employee, right? Right there, there's lots of things. And then in the market where there is a lot of sublease space because companies have made the decision to downsize, you know, even if it's for the next five years, we don't know. Um, that means tenants are kind of in the leverage position because landlords you know, want to hold that those tenants. Um, and uh, they'll do you know, they'll they'll cut sweeter deals, so to speak. Absolutely. Um, we were talking about supply chain and just you know things being available um, and there being kind of supply and demand issues. I'd love to kind of tackle the 1031 exchange situation and just thinking about you know how there's such a demand and kind of why and and what we're going to see hopefully in the next six months. Yeah, great question, and it's it's one that kind of shifts our discussion to the private investment market. So the the, the 1031 exchange, which you know is a provision of the tax code, allows uh, property owners investors to defer gains on property uh, investment property income property for, into the future. To put it very simple as that, um, there has been chatter. Uh, we don't know what the outcome will be uh, of getting rid of that provision of the tax code as a way to fund some government spending. Now, um, again, lots of different uh, different positions on whether that's right or wrong, and that's not really what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about, it does have an impact, right? Because if people are concerned that may go away, and let's say they have a portfolio and they're nearing, uh, I don't know, retirement, and they want to shift the portfolio so it gets to their kids or grandkids or whatever it may be, you know, they say, hey, I want to sell now. I want to sell before things change, right? So it has put a pretty significant um, emphasis uh, for people to to, to sell, uh, particularly if they're in a gain situation, take advantage of the existing tax code, which they believe will stay in place at least through this year, um, which means they're in the market looking for exchange properties. And there has been somewhat of a dearth of uh, exchange properties available for sale um, and cap rates have been driven down and people are looking for alternatives. And maybe when they would have only preferred to be in primary markets, now they're looking to secondary or tertiary markets uh, because they need to place that money in a, in a very uh, restricted time frame for the 1031 exchange law. Um, so if the market is active in 1031 exchanges, um, it's uh the primary driver behind a very active net leased investment market, which tends to be pretty popular with people who want to park money um, in, you know, uh, corporate credit, single net 
net leased retail facilities, for example, where you have a corporation guaranteeing the credits a 15 year lease. You know, it's kind of like a bond, uh, but there's only so many of them out there. Right. So uh, there's there's a fair amount of competition for those properties. And um, I think in part that's due to the fact that people are concerned that the 1031 advantage uh, tax advantage may go away. Absolutely. Um, interestingly, you know, you you hit on another topic uh, that that you wrote about, just about the tolerance of risk growing, um, and I think that's that's interesting to think about that dynamic between people looking for you know medium term investments, um, but then also getting a little bit more risky, maybe. Yes, risk, you know, in real estate, you know, real estate is often thought of as being sort of a hedge against inflation. So we had a discussion a few moments ago about inflation concerns uh, and people sometimes say, hey, real estate, you know, it's it's not, you know, that product is not going away, right? That building is probably going to be there and people perceive it as a good investment, you know, vis-a-vis things like the stock market that, first of all, is an all-time high or, or keeps flirting with all-time highs um, and could be, uh, could have an impact, a down impact, negative impact, if inflation should come back, at least some segments of the you know, stock, stocks would, have, would be impacted. So um, real estate thought of as a, as a good alternative for, for higher returns. And to get those returns, again, just to echo what I said about 1031s, that means there's a good amount of money chasing few products. Right. And I've heard uh, repeatedly as we talk to our brokerage professionals across the country, they say, listen, I have buyers lined up for, you know, whatever product type it is. We just can't find enough product. Right. You can only build so much real estate so fast if it's going to be new construction. So um, there is a tolerance for risk if you need to place money in real estate or desire to. And, you know, you're not uh, you say like, hey, I'll go outside, as I said, a primary market into a secondary or tertiary or maybe to a different property type because I just want my money to be in, in commercial real estate. Absolutely. Um Gosh, there's so much there to think about in the next six months, and it'll be really exciting to see where things shake out by the end of the year, for sure. Um, just shifting gears, I know we started talking about office, but um, you know, thinking of it in a different way that I wanted to make sure we hit for our listeners is um, the shift in space needs and then collaboration and just like what that does from a, a space and demand um, you know, scenario. Right. Super. And we touched on it earlier, but this is a, a decision that corporate real estate managers uh, and business owners have to make. Right. So there is, uh, as I said, there is the conger keep con- congregating everybody in a central business district, if that was your work model, versus dispersing them. You know, and let's having smaller pods in a metropolitan area. Um, an alternative to that, you know, that would be downsizing maybe one location and leasing new in the suburbs, let's say, for example. An alternative to that, you know, which was popular prior to COVID. COVID and kind of took a little bit of a break and probably is now back is co-working space, right? Co-working, you know, it took a break primarily because it's a very communal type of environment, very open. Um, but again, if, if pandemic uh, risks are, are addressed um, and people are less concerned, then if you're a business owner and you're not yet sure what kind of space your people need, but you need space where people can go to work because they have, you know, kids at home, pets at home, construction projects, what are going on, whatever it may be, and they and they just function better or a team functions better, then demand for co-working could be could be increasing, right? And that's just, that's not just the co-working companies, but obviously those companies take space. Um, companies could take. Um, 
smaller spaces or shorter term leases. That's another thing that we that we've been seeing. Right. Well, I'm not, you know, I'm not really sure I want to take the risk on a big, you know, pay for all the build out, which has to get amortized in over the term of the lease. I will, you know, do a short term renewal or I'll renew a smaller space because it's just less risk. Right. Until we see what uh, work for work force will demand and how it will be accommodated by different kinds of users, particularly office users. Yeah, and thinking about also the shift in in the way we we work and act, really, um, I wanted to kind of think about retail and it being repurposed. I think there's been, we've seen, obviously, the pandemic fast forwarded this quite a bit and the need for drive throughs or ghost kitchens was a big thing that um, that came up that we had never really thought about or it really um, accelerated that growth. Um, what do you see as the future for retail? Well, retail is not one product type, so that's one thing to remember. It's many product types. I think as we talked about when we did the original forecast for the year, the pandemic accelerated trends that were already happening in the retail space. I mean, online shopping did not start March of 2020. Online shopping had already been big. Uh, demand for industrial space, you know, basically when you're shopping, if you're shopping online, you're pushing a button that that triggers a need for industrial, right? That that good has to get uh, packaged up and sent to your house via whatever service that you're using. So that that trend is in place. And 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 then th- that trend has hindered or hampered, you know, the, what was formerly the strong anchors of regional malls, you know, the, the JCPenney's and Sears and Macy's and, and all those types of shopping have, have, you know, either gone away or has been turned away. So let's just talk about different segments. So the, the, the regional malls in many cases are struggling across the board. Uh, some are being repurposed into, you know, the, the what was formerly anchor stores are becoming apartment, multifamily uses. You can open up the mall if you're in a place that climate warrants that, and you can turn it into kind of a, a little mini downtown of sorts, right? That's a possibility. A, a department store is also, in a sense, a warehouse, right? Maybe it's a last mile distribution site. It's essentially, you know, maybe a two, maybe one story, maybe two story space that's got tall roofs. It could be a distribution space. Uh, it could be flattened altogether and turned into single family residential. You know, one doesn't know, but that that you know, the days you know of my childhood and going to the regional mall, which was really you know the place to hang out. Those days are are numbered at the present. Who knows? It might come back, right? So that's one, just one segment. Then you have grocery anchored shopping centers that have done quite well. I mean, we do you know through the pandemic through today, we need to shop we, for food, right? Um, you know, uh, Home Depots and Lowe's anchored centers, things that are you know people are doing a lot of home products. And then a lot of uh, retail centers have embraced other types of usage that wouldn't have traditionally been retail. So you would see, um, let's say, a medical clinic, an outpatient clinic for a hospital system, a cancer treatment clinic, a dialysis center, all kinds of uses that might have been, you know, years ago on a hospital campus have been uh, are spread out into the community now. You know, urgent care centers and, you know, kind of their office space. Right. But they can they would they're probably much better suited for retail because they need parking and easy access. You need to be able to walk in and out. And those you know, that's a growth segment. I mean, other growth there are. You know, let's not forget there are other gross segments in retail, uh, veterinary clinics. You know, with the with the puppy explosion of, of the COVID, has has you know dr- you know encouraged a demand for veterinary services uh, in places where cannabis is legal. Um, you know, cannabis retailing is is growing, um, and there's a number of other uses that are growing. So not everything is on the out. There are things that are coming up, and that impacts you know what kind of retail center they need. And then last, I would point out is the freestanding net lease retail. We talked about earlier. Very popular with investment clients, 1031 exchange clients, you know, freestanding Starbucks, Walgreens, Pet Boys, dollar store. 
stores, all those kind of categories. Uh, nice corporate guaranteed rents in most cases um, are in demand. So when you say retail is struggling, I you know I, yes, retail is going through a big shift. Um, the last thing I'll say, and you can read this in many different uh, real estate research publications, but the United States has been over retail. Uh, some people say by by up to 30%. We just have too much retail space. It was a result of development cycles in, in previous years. It's not a, a, a recent phenomenon. And there just may be more retail space than we need for the way retail operates today, in which case retail centers will come down and something else will go up. I was just writing a note to myself that the word reimagining, I think that that's going to be really, that's been the key through all of this, really, I think this past year, um, it's certainly what we found. Uh, but, you know, reimagining space is definitely the trend uh, that I think is here to stay. Uh, and it, it's nice to see people getting pushed at, in a creative way. So that it's not Absolutely. necessarily a bad thing. One thing that I wanted to to ask you about is, do you think that the shifts, because this is something I felt as a theme throughout the whole mid-year update, do you think that the shifts between, you know, residential moving to the suburbs or 1031 exchanges being more popular in secondary and tertiary markets, do you just see a bigger shift into those smaller markets in like overall, or is that too much of a generalization? I think it's a fair observation at the moment. If you look at the numbers from, um, you know, the many real, you know, real capital analytics and others, trap and those sorts of things. I mean, there's no doubt that interest in downtown CBD office market, you know, traditional core centers of office space, either demand for investment or demand for more people working there is just not there at the moment. Right. At the moment. I haven't looked at it uh, recently, but I haven't seen, I don't believe, a huge demand for construction of suburban office space. Because, right, there could just be an issue of, like, maybe we just need less office space, irrespective of whether it's downtown or in the suburbs. But, they're, they're, you know, again, when you look back in 20 years or 10 years even, we'll see the trend, right? We'll know what this period was. At present, it does seem like, you know, secondary, tertiary markets do have, you know, the Charleston, South Carolinas of the world and so forth do have an advantage, do have a lifestyle advantage uh, over the the large urban markets. But, I, you know, again, I'm hard pressed to say that absolutely will never change. We know it will change, right? There was times when people thought, you know, um, New York City was never going to come back, right, in the in the 1970s and 80s, and right, those things changed, right? So uh, it'll it'll take time, you know, we, we it, but there has been a shift. Um, it's a notable shift, whether or not it's permanent or not, is just a matter of uh, how we evaluate it when we look back. Absolutely. Well, this has been such a great conversation, and I can't wait to see what the next six months has to offer for everybody. I'd love for you to kind of uh, leave us with some some thoughts, uh, and then we can have you remind people how they can get in touch with you. All right. Absolutely. So uh, it's been fun, Christina. Thank you very much for let, talking to me today and uh, letting us share kind of our thoughts from Cobalt Banker Commercial's perspective on the commercial real estate market. Um, there, are, you know, here's one thing I always remind people: there are opportunities as occupiers, tenants, or investors in commercial real estate markets, irrespective of the market conditions or tax laws. Right? There are always opportunities. You just need a really good advisor and sort of a uh, open mind as to what what it is, you know, what it is you want to invest in or own or lease, right? There's opportunities pretty much everywhere. You just need to be really wise about them. What what doesn't work for commercial industry is what challenges it is when people make no decisions. But that's not a situation we're in now. People are making decisions. Uh, we know that aspects of retail are coming back. We know aspects of hospitality, particularly vacation 
production is coming back. We know that industrial demand is super strong and we don't see that going away. And we know that housing demand is strong. So there are some very good, this is very different than the 2008 downturn. Um, this is a pandemic led shift in the market conditions that is now uh now we're coming out of um and that'll just yield different results so i don't think anyone should you know say well commercial real estate is good or bad or one product is good or bad it, the, the answer to my mind it always is it depends right uh some segments are going to be you know the uh, hospitality segment um and the business segment of hospitality yeah that's going to be challenged particularly if the hotels are in cbds central business districts but there's opportunity in all markets so um i don't know that's one i think pretty big but important general concept um I think our outlook is pretty, you know, I won't say bullish, but I'll say it's pretty confident. Again, depending on what segment and where you are, um, you know, I think all the segments have some promise. We've seen pretty strong sales across the board. Uh, we will see, you know, land sales are doing very well across the country. And, you know, that you know it takes time before you start building product and that product comes online and it starts having an effect on marketplaces and sectors that are particularly tight. Um, so I don't, you know, the conclusions are this, I, I, unlike last year or at least the end of last year, certainly mid last year, I think we're more certain that we're um, in pretty good ground in the near term for commercial real estate activity. Um, there are sectors of concern, but there are subsectors within those sectors that are still strong and you just have to be open-minded about it. Um, and we will see inflation, as we mentioned earlier, some uh, construction costs and labor supply are all, um, all question marks that we have currently that will impact those results. And when we gather again at the end of this year, I guess we'll look back and see how true my comments are today. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Let us know how people can get in touch with you. Ah, absolutely. So uh, obviously, uh, you can get in contact with a Cobalt Banker commercial professional uh, via our website, www.cbcworldwide.com. You can get in touch with me if you want to touch with me personally with dan.spiegel, S-P-I-E-G-E-L, at um, at cbhomeoffice.com. Uh, LinkedIn is a great way to connect with me, message me, uh, as is Twitter as well. Um, but I'm happy to, to con you know, continue the conversation with anybody out there. Uh, we en I enjoy talking about commercial real estate as I enjoy talking about architecture and as do our professionals. Like all of our professionals are, are commercial professionals and they're here to advise, that's their role. Thank you again for the opportunity, it's been great. Absolutely, Dan. Super excited to have you on again. And, you know, for me, the biggest takeaway is to have an open mind to find the right opportunity that suits your needs. And I think that uh, many of us can take that into many aspects of our life. So what a great life lesson as we're talking about commercial real estate. If you like what you hear here, please follow, subscribe and like our podcast and tell a friend. Special thanks to Jane Thorne Leeson for all the research that went into the CBC 2021 Mid-Year Update. You can find the free downloadable report at cbcworldwide.com slash intelligence. <laughs>